The Koffler Gallery is proud to present the world premiere of a heart-wrenching and fascinating exhibition, The Synagogue at Babinyar, Turning the Nightmares of Evil into a Shared Dream of Good. Opening on the eve of Yom HaShoah, April 17th, and running until November, the multidisciplinary exhibition tells the bittersweet story of the Babinyar Synagogue, which stands on the grounds of the first large-scale massacre of the Holocaust in 1941. Experience the full historical, political, artistic, and spiritual context of this incredible monument for the first time. The exhibition is free of charge. To learn more, visit KofflerArts.org. This is Bonjour Chai, the Zionist occupation of the dance floor edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Phoebe Maltbovi in Toronto. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, two amazing topics for you. One, uh, Francois Legault's uh, Big Easter Monday gaffe on Twitter. Uh, was it a gaffe? Was it not? What do we say about this? Um, does it really show his true colors? Uh, we're going to dive into uh, the latest issue on secularism in Quebec. Um, and uh, in honor of Yom Atzma'ut, uh, we are going to present to you some of our favorite music about Israel? Um, is it just about music? Is it uh, speak something larger about the culture? Um, we'll find out. Uh, so stay tuned, all of that and so much more. Phoebe, how's it going? It's going all right. Um, yeah, it's been a long, long extended uh, Easter weekend. I say Easter intentionally because that seems to be a really big thing here in Canada, um, which I wrote about for the CJN before even um, realizing how big of a topic secularism and how you look at Easter in Canada was going to become in Quebec. Um, yeah, this week has been more serene. It's been a really busy few weeks because of Passover and the like. I don't know if you, uh, were you aware that there was this massive ice storm that hit uh, Montreal on Erev Pesach? Like, uh, <laughs> I was aware of it. I was not impacted by it, but I was aware of it. So tell us um, about the ice I, storm. We, uh, didn't lose power. We live in Westmount, uh, which is a suburb, uh, in the part of the city we there's we have our own separate power uh station and uh, all the wires are buried but but really thousands and thousands of jews lost power uh right on the eve of the seders uh people didn't get it back for three days my parents uh were out of town but their house was affected they didn't have power for three days um they had to throw out their whole freezer um which you know if you're a moroccan jewish mother you uh that's thousands of dollars of you know it's a stocked freezer um no i'm kidding they have an insurance policy it's fine <laughs> Um, so yeah, and people were in shul. They'd missed, uh, satyrs, they had satyrs at candlelight. There was no heat. There was, uh, it was a problem. People were going to other families. Um, it was kind of a big deal. And I think that people will remember this, uh, year's Pesach, mm -hmm. uh, because of that for, you know, uh, a long time. And then the weird thing was like a week later, it was in the mid twenties, uh, in terms of temperature. So the weather has been really, really weird in Toronto as well. I, noticed that I was putting my somewhat sunburnt arms into my warmest winter coat because of the weather shifts we've been having Canada. We are we are not joking about this frozen chosen thing. Yeah. What's been uh, coming across your transom lately? So um, there was recently an article, uh, a news article, so I had nothing to do with it, um, by uh, Jeremy Apple in the CJN on our website. Tariq Khan, a member of Alberta's new Multicultural Council, resigns after a history of anti-Semitic posts are revealed. 
article that end the article ends uh Khan did not reply to a request for comment from the CJN well da, 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 it seems that he now has uh responded and has apologized um to us Jews um for <laughs> to the CJN on behalf of all Jews <laughs> okay. for yes, all we know he so... has sent out this email to several other Jewish organizations yes. and uh that's possible so um I had not been particularly closely following the story, um, but I'll just say, on behalf of every single Jew in the world, including who has also not been following the story, apology accepted. Thank sure. you. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> I mean, the only reason why I want I to dwell know. on this is because I am a fan of apologies, and they're increasingly okay. and increasingly rare these days, um, mm-hmm. especially ones that are... You know, you may say that this is a PR move, but it is a full-throated apology, right? The letter that we got was unequivocal in its statement Mm -hmm. of saying, I was wrong in doing what I did. Um, And we see that less and less uh, these days. I don't know how much I have to add, apart from that, I just think um, the sort of culture of demanding apologies from people for old tweets and then what tends to happen in these cycles because i have seen it so so many times not just to do with anti-semitism but really any topic is someone will apologize and then the apology will be talmudically level uh sort of obfuscation close read you know and then it becomes like can you believe they said this or that? And then it just keeps going and keeps going. And that's what I hate. That's what I hate. So when I see an apology, I'd almost want to like not look at it too closely and just be like, okay, it seems like it's a sign. The fact that there even is an apology, not just about a person who's made it, but that we live in a society where certain things are, you know, not acceptable. I think that's a good thing. Fine. We move on. You know what I mean? Rather than like nitpicking. I don't want to dwell on it. Yep. But Yes, I'm just saying it so that other people can apologize and not necessarily feel like they're compelled to, but actually just go and do it when they realize they did something wrong. Right. Speaking of apologies or non-apologies about tweets, let's get to a famous one um, that will uh, be our next topic right after we hear from our sponsors. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. All right. So on April 10th, uh, Easter Monday, Quebec Premier François Legault tweeted out a column from the Journal de Montréal columnist Matthew Bach-Côté entitled Éloge de notre vieux fond catholique, or In Praise of Our Old Catholic Background, right? So his support... You weren't the author of that article? It seemed kind of like your style. Um... I mean, I am in praise of old backgrounds. Sometimes they are religious. Uh, I think that that is fine to be proud of one's previous heritage, religious or secular. Um, The problem, though, (laughs) is um, that his support is for a view that Quebec history is inextricably tied to its Catholicism. Um, And while that may actually be true... um, this doesn't come out great and leads to it and it led to entire backlash with many calling out the hypocrisy 
right? Because what did Francois Legault, all, what was Francois Legault all about in the past few years? He ran through Bill 21, um, ushered in a supposed... Which is what? Uh, ushers in a supposed secular culture in mm-hmm. Quebec, right? So Bill 21 is a law that was passed in 2019. Um, it basically promotes secularism as a value, as a prime value within Quebec society. Um, and as such, the, the major implication, there are other implications to this bill, but the major one that everybody talks about is that um, any public individuals in a position of power, so that civil servants in a, a position of authority, such as judges, uh, police officers, prison um guards, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, as well as public school teachers. So teachers in a public school setting are prohibited from uh, promoting any religious faith uh, by even wearing garments that are associated with a given faith. And there's this famous um, infographic that they put out to make it seem like it's super simple for everybody to worry about, right? So you can't wear a big cross, you can't wear a kippah, you can't wear a hijab. Okay, I'm just going to go and remove the enormous (laughs) cross. It's just like weighing me down (laughs) that, you know, you can't see because it's audio, but it's just right off. It's it's a massive gold crucifix. Like you got this one from the Pope. It's enormous. The Pope who's sitting right next to me. Absolutely. I'm recording from the Pope mobile. Yeah. So look, there's actually a background to this. This is not originally a Quebec thing. It has a background in France, right? Uh, Phoebe? It does. Fill us in on what happens in France and then how it maybe makes its way over to Quebec. Okay. So the how it makes its way over to Quebec part is going to be the mystery for me precisely because I'm a little bit confused about sort of what relationship sort of early 20th century, especially happenings in France would have to Quebec. Because basically with France, there was first, there was the 1789 French Revolution, which was very much anti-clerical, very much about, um, let's, like having a French nation with no religion, no, you know, in this sort of in the spirit of the French Enlightenment, Voltaire, all of this, right? And that's how you got this thing where there are these French citizens um, of... With, with no sort of hyphenated identity. That's where that idea of like French secular republicanism, that's where that comes from. And then this gets reinforced in 1905 with the law um, separating church and state, which is sort of right after the Dreyfus affair. So you really get this like um, intense tradition in France, um, a reject sort of like after wars of religion, but also um, in theory, keeping French national identity open to people of all ethnic backgrounds, but this idea of a really like a purely secular French identity. Um, And that's always challenged and still has always been and always probably will be challenged by, you know, not just religious people of all different backgrounds in France, but also there's something a little bit tricky where like, for example, anti-veiling is where this comes up the most, you know, like legislation, um, against Muslim women wearing um, veils in public places, headscarves in public places. And the question, you're in certain contexts, and then there the question always is, is this secularism or is this, in fact, um, enforcing a sort of quasi-secular, quasi-sort um, of Catholic norm everywhere like what's what's um pro-secular and what's um discriminatory and that's always been this tension and i say all this not to resolve it not to give my own sort of complicated thoughts on it but just i guess what i'm saying is that i don't 
entirely understand just um, since I do know the French case well and not really the Quebec one much at all, um, where that fits in what's happening in Quebec. How has this played out in the mid to late 20th century in in France or even into the 21st century? I feel like it's something that is not quite settled law, but everybody accepts that it's there. Everybody knows that laïcité, which is the French term for secularism, is part right. of the culture. Um, people accept and move on with it, even if some people don't like it. Are there legal challenges to it? Or is this a mischaracterization of the entire approach? I mean, I think what's happened is as there's been more immigration and also more of an embrace of kind of a type of multiculturalism in France, of hyphenated identities and so forth. I think it's not any more just a default that the a liberal approach is a pro-secular approach, if that makes sense. Meaning? Like, meaning like politically, if you're politically on the left, where does that put you, you know? Meaning there are people that are on the left that are pro-religion and right. that are okay with... Or that are pro, pro-ethnic diversity, which effectively means being pro-religion. So I guess there's this thing where secularism in France is both um, secularism and kind of promoting this um, culturally Catholic, maybe, patrimony. It's complicated because there are also a lot of, yeah. Like, I guess what I'm wondering is, is secular in Quebec code for anything other than secular? Does it generally mean sort of like how how associated is it with um, sort of like anti-veiling, but like could an elementary school teacher talk about Easter? Yeah, so... Look, I think that Quebec always looks towards France for, um, you know, rec- for ideas, right? I, I, had a, mm-hmm. I had a French teacher in high school who, who was French, and this isn't entirely true. This is a gross mischaracterization and stereotyping, but, but I think that there's a grain of truth to this. So he was, he'd be like, you know, the difference between French, France and Quebec, right, Quebec looks to France as this like wonderful land with like culture and amazing laws and ideas and philosophy and and f- Quebec sees itself as like France's little sibling, you know, like oh, we we do everything with our big brother or whatever like that or big sister, I guess. And you look at France towards Quebec and it's like they don't even think about it, right? It's like oh, it's this like provincial oh, backwater that like yes. who who are the how many French people come to Quebec to perform in terms of artists and then vice versa, you have like maybe one or two, right? That was like his sort of example. Right. So, I think that laicite was uh, this idea of secularism was inevitably going Going to make its way to Quebec in a big way. Um, everybody, everybody basically realizes the transparency of what's going on here in that the thing that is happening is that Quebec is afraid of veils, is afraid of hijabs, is afraid of all of these things, um, and basically created a law counter to mm-hmm. all right. religions in order to make sure that Muslim radicals aren't teaching our little kids in school. Right. <laughs> right. So this is OK. This gets to um, another whole angle of this that I wanted to bring up, because before all of this happened, I wrote for the website about my understanding as an American Jew living in Canada of kind of the place of Easter in Canada, because I find this baffling, not only how many days are national holidays, but just how day to day assumed it is that you care about Easter, which um, 
growing up in New York would be assumed if you're Christian, like observantly Christian. I don't mean like Christian as in not Jewish and some white person of a maybe Christian background. I mean, like, if you are a churchgoer, you care about Easter. Here in Canada, I was wished Happy Easter at a supermarket. Um, Easter is a huge thing at the um, ostensibly secular uh, schools and daycares my children go to. It is a big deal. And they're, and it's national holidays. You recognize like that, there is a se- that the separation between church and state is fundamentally different in Canada than it is yes. in the U.S. In that there is officially exactly. a separation, but there's also... There might be a recognition that if the majority of people are celebrating X, well, then we have to close down school for the day or we should mention it and put it on a calendar, um, whatever it might be. And Quebec seems to have no problem with Easter. Quebec seems to have no problem even mm-hmm. to a certain extent with Judaism because they're, they don't see – like we've been integrated into you know the culture for oh, long right, enough. Yeah. Israel, Palestine might be different. That was different, different when discussion. my grandmother was, I was growing going up. going to say, yes, yes, um, yes. There's a lot of work around that. But, um, but at the end of the day, the real c- – culprit right in in religious religion creeping into quebec society is islam um and i i mean i actually think it's to the detriment of the jewish community is that the establishment jewish community has basically chosen to sit this one out with certain notable exceptions i know that there are lawyers that are jewish that are fighting uh, against this there are definitely small organizations that are pushing this um but at the end of the day the major jewish organizations have stepped back and said this is not our fight and in their minds it's not their fight because there are not many if any jewish police officers there are very very few if any there are definitely a few but really really few jewish teachers that are orthodox um, and want to wear a scarf to cover their hair or wear a kippah in public schools and as a result they're like okay look if it's going to affect five people they're going to have to take one for the team and uh, it's really about the hundreds and hundreds of muslims and let's be honest we're not so cool on islamophobia right we think that they're all terrorists anyways i'm not i'm paraphrasing i'm not speaking this i'm saying this on behalf of like the mental state of a lot of Jews. Avi, you're canceled. You're canceled. (laughs) Right? And therefore, they have sat this one out, and I think that it is tremendously problematic for that. And here is this gaffe that brings it back up and basically shows the world that Quebec basically doesn't have a problem with some faiths. They just have a problem Mm -hmm. with others, right? Catholicism, that's our heritage. That's important, right? It happened, actually, that 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 line was... um, already in the culture that idea was already in the culture when they said that they're removing religion from all public spaces except for the cross and the national assembly because they were like that's a historic and cultural symbol right so like but i'm interested like you know enough about this history of laicite of secularism yeah right when it's brought forth do you say that this is like mildly preposterous like somebody i see it as hypocritical i see it as as hypocritical let's take a step back let's take a step back if it was genuinely secular and we really believed that no faith right imagine you're in some pretend scandinavian country where everything works well right i don't know what we're going to call it you know Uh, hopelandia that's the word that they use for cigaros that they're they're fake language anyways hopelandia exists and you've moved to hopelandia and everybody is totally government is totally totally secular and and they really warmer there i hope it's all fine everything's good there is faith in the country there are multiple faiths there's a lot of different cultures but the government has an official total secular stance right does that make you feel better does that make you feel worse do you have a reason to say we need to live in a secular society or do you think that the government saying that we're closed for easter monday or that we're wishing people a happy passover or that a teacher or a judge wearing a kippah or a hijab actually is going to be biased towards a certain faith and is going 
trying to potentially be promoting a, a certain faith? That's a that's a, a few different questions there, I think, Afi. I mean, I think, so like, I, I'll try to separate it out maybe into a few different answers. I mean, one is that I think um, secularism itself it's complicated because religion isn't any one thing. So religion is always a mix of belief and culture, right? So you can't really ever separate these out completely. And also they're divided differently in Judaism and Islam and Christianity and different parts of each one, right? So there's what's religion and what's culture, right? Like how would you, can you even ever really divide that? So I think that's one aspect of this. So to say that you're taking everything religious out, well, what's where where are you dividing that line? So that's something that actually came about from the French Revolution, the idea that you even could divide mm -hmm. religion from culture. And that's been complicated, right, ever since. So that's one thing. Um, I think a purely secular society has to include allowing people to have their own religious expression and how exactly that plays out is probably not something that I in a podcast answer can like sort out. I personally prefer a secular society. I also think if you're Jewish and you really, really are like, so often like I'll see in, in different forums online, people will be furious, furious, especially American Jews about any kind of expression of Christianity in the public sphere. And at a certain point, I do think, look, there is a country where you won't get that. It's called Israel. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm with you. And actually, if your feeling I, is, I think that we should this, have more yeah, secularism you know, in Israel even. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if your feeling is that you don't like living in a country where virtually everybody cares that it's Christmas, you can either ask everybody to not care that it's Christmas or you can go to a country where that's not the case. And I think those are the only options. And I think there's only so much that can be done. I think it's it's nice, like a nice gesture if somebody says happy holidays or whatever. But like, realistically, there's that's only going to go so far. On that note... Um... Let's move in a completely different direction to a fully, fully secular society, Israel. Yes, Israel. I don't think there are any, there are no, no religious, no religious issues there nope. whatsoever. No religious uh, observance. <laughs> so we thought we would take some time and uh, get into uh, some of the music that we love about Israel and use it as a lens for thinking about Israel in general. Um Phoebe, you love Israeli music, and it was something that really blew my mind when I first uh -huh. got to meet you. <laughs> and tell me why you love Israeli music, and uh, why don't you start sure. sharing some of your songs, and I'll get into mine soon enough. Sure. Um, so I do really enjoy Israeli music. Um, I learned about it in a few different ways. Um, I had a friend in college who um, probably, I don't know how he torrented or whatever, all of it, but he had some kind of like huge, huge amount of it. And it, this was at one point on my computer as well. Then um, I went on with um, David Abitbol at the Jewish's Birthright Trip, and they had a mix tape that we all oh, really? got. Um, That's kind of cool. I had yes, no idea. And of the music we listened to on the bus. And some there was some overlap, and I'm not I'm trying to remember the order of this when I got it, which music. And then I also um, took Hebrew for a year in college at the University of Chicago, and then in grad school at NYU did a um, did you take Hebrew undergraduate Hebrew? Class did you take this. undergraduate Hebrew at University of Chicago? I did for one year with, with Ariana Finkelstein. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, she was my Hebrew teacher. She was our Hebrew teacher. Yeah. No way. And what she was good at was that every class she presented a song and that we had to like look at the lyrics mm -hmm. and then translate them. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a way to get into Israeli music. 
we did not. So I was in the more beginner class than that, but um, we did uh, definitely have a lot of music and I think possibly movies, food. It was great. It was a really fun class. Um, so yeah, I mainly did not hear this music actually in Israel, but yeah, yeah. So I, I just, I think it's a lot of uh, great music. Um, yeah. And I could, awesome. um, well, I'll get into my story later, but tell of, me, yeah. tell me some of the song, uh, a song you're going to play. Start us off with something. Okay. So, um, the one I might like the most is Beta Bubot Sigapo. <laughs> So why do you love this song? What's what does it say to you? It sounds nice. <laughs> I don't have any um profound uh thoughts about it i understand that beta bubut means doll's house um does is it a reference to uh courtney love and hole is it about literal doll's houses i do Wasn't not know doll is, parts? It, is it a the song right but you know could be yeah, a okay. it was doll parts that's true okay <laughs> um i've been out 90s um but only because i listened to the yeah. excellent 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 podcast called 60 songs that explain the 90s which has now expanded oh, to 120 to to songs. And he spends I need, I need like an hour and a half deep dive. Rob Harvilla, he, it's like, excellent. Okay. Please go do that. But anyways. Um, oh, what I was going to say, though, with, with this Israeli music, because I really like it. And I think part of it is I'm in a weird way, like diving into my own ignorance, because I'm somebody who overthinks things, as you may have noticed, overanalyzes things, reads about them, writes about them, whatever. This is something where I just like what the music sounds like. And in a way, but like, if there is a political component to it at all, it's that I think it's really important to remember, especially now um, that Israel is more than its current government. Israel is more than its politics. Israel is also culture. And it's nice to just kind of enjoy Israeli culture. And I think there's kind of the cliche of like falafel and all of this. And I, it's not that that's not nice too. But I, yeah, the music's just kind of fun. Um, and it's a way to remember that Israel is not just um, debates about Israel. Awesome. Uh, what's next? I really like the movie um, Yossi the Jagger or Yossi and Jagger um, about two extremely handsome Israeli soldiers who fall in love with each other. Um, and I was a big I, fan of this in grad school. I was, I was going to call it the seminal Israeli film, but then I realized that it's, <laughs> that's a really poor choice of words. <laughs> no, I think that's the way to go there. I don't, I, I would expect no less. Um, but uh, the singer, Avery Leader, did, I, I believe it is a cover, Bo, the song. <laughs> Yeah, what strikes me about this song always is that mm-hmm. it just sounds like a typical power ballad, mm-hmm. right? It's very Western. 
Yeah. Um, and it shows the like Western influence on Israeli music at the time, the Western, the mm-hmm. North American like rock scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, was this? Just another song for you? Would you liked? Was this? Well, I, a, I mean, it's it's very meaningful in the movie. Yeah, um, and you like the movie. Yeah. I do, I do. <laughs> not not at all biased by the extremely attractive actors cast in it. Yeah. Um, so that's another part of Israeli culture. Um, and I feel like this kind of is almost more of a tie-in um, with our Hanchi episode. Um, I was going to say it's actually a tie-in <laughs> to our uh, first topic with Quebec, because Quebec and Israel are very similar in terms of their cultural output in that they're a very relatively small population that had to go and develop an entire cultural network um, mm-hmm. of both news and film and TV and music that speaks to a specific culture um, that isn't necessarily going to be consumed by the wider um, public, right? So Quebec culture mm-hmm. is not picked up by the rest of Canada, by and large, um, right? Whether it's French music, French Canadian music, French Canadian TV, um, and the same thing happens in Israel, um, except for that there is a diaspora that picks up on it as well. Um, right. Well, there's a French language diaspora that um, it can kind of join up with a bit. For, it can, but but, but it's so but it's so geographically large, separate. By and large, yeah. it feels right. The, the touch points feel mm-hmm. very very different in Quebec than in mm-hmm. the rest of the mm-hmm. world, rest of Canada, let alone you know French speaking North America. Sure. Right? I can't imagine sure. that the French speakers you know in in New Orleans are are saying to themselves, oh, I really need to see what my cousins, my my distant, distant cousins are going up in Acadia. (laughs) What's going on with, you know, French TV there? Um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting, you know, piece that that connects the culture to it as well. Um, Let me switch. Let let me, let me play a couple of things and talk about that. Um, I, I actually have, I had no love for Israeli music until relatively recently. I was always listening to Jewish music. I was listening to rock music. I just always felt in my mind that like it seemed kind of like passe listening to whatever Israeli music that people were listening to. Like I remember mm-hmm. uh, when I was in university or, or stage up, like Eyal Golan was like the big one, right? I don't know if you remember Eyal Golan. He was like the big pop star. Uh, he had this song. <laughs> Like, I hear that song, and I was like, oh, this is what you would hear at any falafel store in around the world. Mm-hmm. You could be in Brussels. You could be in uh, Boston. You could be, uh, I don't know, give me another B city. <laughs> you could be in Brussels or Boston around <laughs> the world. And if you order a falafel, this is what's playing. The heavy Mizrahi influence. He's a pop star. He's looking on the cover and is like, you know, his really cool fake Calvin Klein belt like um, with a big belt buckle and all this like it was just it didn't sit with me at all it didn't do anything for me I was listening to Springsteen I was listening to County well, that's Crows. a lot less I was going to say that when you talk about North American influence you don't get that there at all exactly no not at all and maybe my taste matured um, but I, I, I distinctly remember that the first major artist that hit me uh, was Edan Reichel that it like mm-hmm. it cl- okay, it clicked with me. Okay, this is something I do know. Um, okay. Idan Reichel's song "Mima Makim." Right. Um, I remember that the first album came out, and then I believe that that was the lead single on the second album. Um, mm-hmm. And what I found fascinating about it was a, it was clearly 
uh, Middle Eastern, right? There was a lot of Middle Eastern inf- mm-hmm. influence. But the thing that was fascinating was that he was sp- incorporating indigenous musics of all the various cultures that were being absorbed into Israel at the time. So this song Mima Makim was beautiful because it started with this intro in Amharic and he had all of this Amharic music that was an influence as part of what was going on in his music, but it was still pretty beat driven. It was fun. It had Western influence, but it also had Middle Eastern influence. And what sat with me also, and this will be a theme as we move forward, it had biblical references in the song, right? In the lyrics, right? Mimama Kim Kirati right? From the depths I call to you, right? It's it's deeply a love song, right? It's, it's not an allegory for anything, um, but it uses a lot of biblical imagery. And I was like, oh, all of these things together, this is the new Israel. This is what like spoke to me. Um, I remember mm-hmm. hearing him in Boston, actually, at the Somerville Theater. I covered it. I photographed it for the newspaper at the time. And it was like a beautiful show. And it felt great to be amongst other Jews listening to this music um, that made sense to me, but that was in a modern idiom using all of this, I wouldn't say cut and paste, but using a collage of ideas from various mm-hmm. cultures that were part of Israel and not just Mizrahi. I want to hear this. All right. So here's a clip from Mima Makim. Yeah, I think that that really reflected to me the the new Israel, the new um, mm-hmm. the the confluence, like I said, of new cultures, um, recognition of various indigenous cultures um, of of the Jews that were um, coming in, and not just purely Mizrahi or purely Ashkenazi, mm-hmm. um, and that's it. And um, the, like I said, the the segue from that into the next song that I'm going to uh, play is. Uh, what happened when a really popular uh, Israeli band um, called Hadag Nachash uh, came on the scene. I know this one. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not going to play the famous song Shira Tastiker. The, their massive explosive hit that I think the lyrics were written by David Grossman and it was basically they did this rap song um, that was based purely on lyrics from um, bumper stickers and how oh, okay. 
like uh, Hadag Nachash is actually uh, a play on words from Nahag Chadash, right? Hadag Nachash means uh, the snakefish, and Nahag Chadash is actually new driver, right. right? Nahag Chadash basically is the sticker you see when you see somebody like who's uh, like a student driver or like their first year, mm-hmm. and they put a sticker on there. So that was a play on that. Uh, but they did this song, and this recognition that the entire spectrum of mm-hmm. Israeli thought for a while was representing everything in bumper stickers. And you can go to Israel, and you can see all these cars had so many bumper stickers on them with really great political mm-hmm. messages on them and they went and I think David Grossman who is a renowned Israeli author um, went and compiled them mm-hmm. all and wrote an amazing mm-hmm. set of lyrics around this uh, these stickers and they turned it into a rap and it became like this massive hit <laughs> But they were also the types of people to then go and not just uh, do this amazing rap that they had, and they were a live band that that was great. Um, they would also take like traditional songs and update them, and I always liked that because these are songs that I knew from a more religious context or from more more traditional context, and they're giving it a new Israeli spin, right? Uh, in this sort of way, instead of taking just the lyrics, they were taking the entire song and adapting it, but taking a traditional song that everybody might know. So in this case, it's Shabachi Yerushalayim, which is uh, a very Sephardic song. You hear it played at like at weddings and. And, uh, other random events um, and uh, you know so they went and they gave it the Hadag Nachash treatment and that really sort of clicked with me we're hearing there is basically a nice reggae like dub reggae track but of a sephardic song sung by ostensibly they're not are they secular are they religious they're not wearing kippahs on stage they could easily potentially be performing this on a shabbat with a full band and an orchestra and and like you know a full amplification um but they're performing a traditional religious song right so what's going Mm -hmm. on with that and i think that that's the new israel and that's what like really spoke to me about hadag nachash was that they were able to bridge these two gaps Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. And um, it's all just such nice music. It's all such, um, but such, the- such a good time. And you can imagine you're somewhere warmer when you're here in um, snowy late April Canada. So I was back in Canada when I heard this last song that I want to play. Um, because to me, this is really where we're at in contemporary Israeli music. Um, and um, the person I'm about to play, I'm going to go here in a month because he is performing in Montreal. Um, Ishai Rebo wow. was somebody that I heard uh, as soon as his first album came out. I was like, oh, I somebody sent it to me uh, who was like, I think you're going to like this. And I remember playing it and then playing it like five times in a row. And I rarely do that for a lot of music um, because I have just so much music uh, available to me. Um, and I'm always mm-hmm. playing whatever. Um Ishai Ribo is uh, a French immigrant to Israel. 
Um, he grows up very, very religious, um, doesn't even listen to non-Jewish music, according to what he was saying uh, when he grows up, and then decides that he just wants to be able to perform music that speaks to him. And he started writing songs and started performing them and started recording them. And in 2013, I believe, he came out with an album and um, somebody sent it to me and it just it clicked with me immediately because this was somebody that was writing original pop songs in Hebrew that really referenced uh biblical uh, or religious themes and they weren't just like oh my god i love god they were complex and they really reflected this new wave of uh israeli singers that were um observant but also in the pop world and using judaism as a a tool in their writing palette uh, and not just having you know uh fun like stuff and uh you know it really immediately hit with me. And so to me, Shai Rebo is the new Israeli music. Like to me, he is the, the ne plus ultra, as one would say. And I'm very excited that I'm going to go hear him. He's playing in Montreal in a month from now, uh, the end of May. Uh, I have seen him once live before in Israel. Uh, I have a funny story about that, but we'll hold on to that story for another time. Um, but let me play you the first, the, the first major single off of the first album that he put out. <laughs> What I love there is that every line right references something else biblically um, and and it's just a great pop song and um He's this guy that's just exploded. You go to his concert, that song is sung by the entire audience and they are secular and they are observant and they are, you know, not. And they're just mm-hmm. like, it's the spectrum and it is really the new Israel for me. And uh, mm-hmm. what better way to like, you know, think about, like, as you said, Israel at 75 than to think about the culture and to like walk away a little bit from um, the really heavy things that are weighing on us. Not that we should be ignoring them. They are very, very important. And I'm sure we'll get back to them in the show at some point in the future. But this is just our way of like sending you out there some good vibes and some great songs. And uh, happy birthday, Israel, for that one. Absolutely. Uh, sounds good for sure. All right. Yeah. Um, well, let's move on to our Nachas. Um, Phoebe, what kind of Nachas do you have for us this week? I'm going to do a very wholesome nachas, which is Riverdale Farm in Toronto, where I went with my family over the weekend and where I got somewhat sunburnt, um, being the pasty Ashkenazi New York Jew that I am. I have that kind of complexion that, um, you know, the first sign of sun in Toronto, you know, best efforts with sunscreen notwithstanding um but yeah the baby animals are out it's really cool if you have small children and live in or near toronto um i recommend it's it's free you just go um and yeah yeah um that's that was really nice um i'm partial to the baby baby lambs there were some baby goats though that are tied for um first place in my book so yeah. so easter what about you, so easter um but you know uh, are, do they do baby animals have a, this is when they're born i mean the like lamb. it's not it's you know i don't think i don't think they're christians 
but they look like my my sadly deceased poodle so it's more personal than that it's not i i don't think jesus particularly enters into it but poodles might all right um i have two um uh, i have two nachases both related to uh our israel topic um so the first one is this piece of news that comes out of israel um and is it timed in time for yom Atzma'ut. uh what does the name ofra haza say to you mean to you Nothing. She was she was a major pop star in the eighties in Israel. Uh, um, Zohar Argov was also a major pop star in Israel uh, in the eighties. Um, they mm-hmm. have both been deceased for uh, almost over. Tw- uh, Ofra Hadas died twenty three years ago, and Zohar Argov has been dead for thirty six years. Right, so they've been dead for a long time. They are being brought back to life, in a manner of speaking. Um, AI researchers are now using their voices from their songs to. To create a duet that is going to be released in time for Israel's 75th anniversary, right? I believe the song is actually already mm-hmm. out, and we can play a clip for it uh, on our way out. Um, but they use their voices to write an entirely new song and to have them sing it using artificial intelligence to have their voices do a duet. They have never sung together. This is a new song that was written for Israel, Israel 75th, and they are using these two voices. It is both amazingly cool and incredibly creepy. Uh, <laughs> to have that's to me seems creepy I, i'm gonna lean towards creepy but <laughs> I, I would have to hear it yeah um and so that is uh my first piece of nachas uh the other piece of nachas i have is uh if you did like this idea of israeli music as a lens onto larger israeli culture and what it speaks about um to larger israeli society in general uh our producer zach hoffman when he was working for israel story produced four episodes of israel story entitled mixtape they are episodes 36 through 39 uh, we will link to them in the show notes. You could find them on the Israel Story website or on their feed, which is exactly this. It was uh, using songs from Israeli uh, culture and history to look at larger uh, stories about Israel. I highly recommend it. It was an amazing set of uh, Israel Story uh, podcasts. You should check them out. It's called Mixtape, and Zach uh, Kaufman was an integral part of the production of that. So go support Zach um, for that one. I cannot wait to listen to that. I am so excited about it. Ever since uh, Zach told us about it, I've been like waiting for an opportunity to listen to that. Sounds amazing. You told us that Zach told us now. I thought that I was going to be serendipitous. Like, of course, I knew about this all along. (laughs) I I didn't. No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's all good. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending April 22nd, Shabbat Parashat Tazriyah Mitzorah. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcast is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. It is one of the best ways we get new listeners. As always, please do email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Phoebe Maltz-Bovi. We both wish you a happy Yom Ha'atzma'ut. Ma'ut.